there is a guest on this show that uh, there's a picture on the back of her book that when I first saw it a year ago, when I had Maureen on, um, it's a picture of what I can only assume to be her daughter's arm. And right next to a huge scar is a tattoo that says freedom. Knowing Maureen as I do, having interviewed her before, uh, if you've listened to my show for a while now, you'll see her from the last CCSAD conference. Um, we're talking about her book, we're talking about her daughter, but mostly we're talking about how families support each other and the resources that we feel like there's not enough of as parents who are dealing with teens that struggle. Um, but there are, and we just don't know how to find them. Thank you for joining me on this week's episode of Beyond Risk and Back. This is one of the CCSAD virtual 2020 conference episode. Uh, is C4 Events is putting this live during this COVID craziness onto the virtual. And I have a really special guest for you guys. Uh, she was going to speak at the conference this year. Uh, she's speaking on the virtual side of it. It's Maureen Cavanaugh, and she is the author of the book, If You Love Me, A Mother's Journey Through Her Daughter's Opioid Addiction. So Maureen, again, uh, what, a, what a powerful episode we did last time. I was so excited to see your name, and I was just showing you, I have, if, if you're not watching this episode on YouTube, then you're listening to it, but I actually have Maureen's book in my hand because I was pulling out all my books from storage as I've been moving back into my home, uh, pulled all my books out of storage and there was Maureen's book and there is Maureen on the calendar for today. So Maureen, welcome. Thank you so much oh, for being thank here. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited for the opportunity. Let's give any new listeners some, some background on the story. If you love me and what went on with you and your daughter. So, I mean, I like most um, parents out there that find out that their child is is using heroin was blown away. Um, unlike a lot of parents, I found out because my daughter told me. So we were very close. And I thought that when we shipped her off to, to treatment and she went in one side of the little factory that I was thinking that that treatment is, and she moved along on the conveyor belt, they would pop her out all well. And <laughs> as anybody that's gone through this knows, that's not what happened. And there was two things that I learned is that um, as parents, we don't even know the questions to ask. And we typically don't get any help at all. And um, or we get very little help for the most part. And we don't know where to look for that. And I also learned that that it, it doesn't work like that. You know, there is no, there's no way of, of doing that conveyor belt, which is what I was hoping for. And we continued on for many years after that, with me, first trying to figure out how to how to fix her myself then to how to get her into the right treatment center that would fix her and you know acting like a maniac as many parents do which i you know proudly wear the big m on my chest i was completely out of my mind and that's why the book is you know it's it's the story of my of of it's my story it's not my daughter's story but it's my story of going through that whole process to get to the finally to the point where I could help other people. And also because I finally realized that she was not mine to fix, 
her, her issues were hers to fix. And the only thing that I had any control over was me. And I needed to stop acting like the giant maniac that I was acting because I wasn't happy. I wasn't helping anything. And I was destroying myself and everything around me to, in the process. Your, your daughter's story. I remember our conversation. Well, um, this was one of the zero to 60 things. You remember your daughter being perfect in all ways. Your, your relationship was well singing in the choir, I believe at church, if I remember correctly. And then off to college with, with perfect grades and everything on the up and up and whammo, right. your daughter's addicted to heroin. And right. that problem lasted for how long? Oh, I guess about that, you know, that it was really bad. I mean, there yeah. was stuff going on that I didn't see because sure. as parents, we don't, we want to look at things and think, you know what, it's probably just adolescence. It's probably just a bad, you know, breakup with the boyfriend. We want to blame it on different things. And oddly enough, um, suicidal ideation in teens, early drug use and, uh, early, and um, just typical adolescents all look kind of the same until it really blows up. And you don't want to wait until it really blows up, you know, and find out that your child is using drugs, which is what happened to me. So, I mean, ideally, we get we get on top of these things before they happen. So what it was really bad for about five years, which felt like 500 years when I was going through it. Sure. And now your your daughter got did get into successful recovery. And well, we had we had to change the the when the paperback came out right. we had to change the name of the book right. because now it's a mother's journey through her daughter's addiction and recovery and recovery right I and remember she's had about three years now and it, because it was last year that you you were actually the republishing was going on yeah. uh, of yeah. of changing the name so congratulations to her as to on her, her on yes. her three years and everything and how is it now do you how. I think I think the the best part of of speaking with you for parents is that you've been so able to eloquently say, you know, I was a maniac. It felt like 500 years. How does it feel now that that we've we've, you know, the light are you still waiting for the other shoe to drop? Is it a big sigh of relief? Do you do you have, you know, I shoulda coulda woulda? What's it like now? I feel like um that you know, she's got three years. I've got about a year and a half <laughs> <laughs> because it took me, you know, it, uh, it's a learning process and I'm still learning, but it's impacted every part of my life because I, I've learned that I can't, con I don't control anything. The only person I control is me. And that took a really long time to sink in. And for the first year, as a lot of parents are not aware of post-acute withdrawal and what that looks like and what she was going through and how her brain chemistry was going back to to what it was before or what it, the new you know normal for her right. and we don't know what's going on so we're on the edge of our seats the whole time so for the first year i think i was just still learning and um now I've moved to the point where I feel like I can teach other people and I can help because I'm an educator. That's what I was doing before sure, all this sure, happened. Sure. And um, I, that's what I'm trying to do now is to support and educate other people so that they have that support and education while they're going through it. 
and um, it was, it, and it's support that didn't exist when I was going through it. So meat and potatoes time about educating other people, educating parents, because you say you, you didn't get the support you needed while your daughter is in recovery. And I know our position at Fire Mountain has been, will always remain. The family's in recovery. You treat the family. Yes, this kid is living here. Here's the parents' uh, uh, phase move system. Here's the parents' weeklies. Here's the parent weekend. Here's as much as we can throw, including this podcast and everything, the, the videos, yeah. everything that we're doing. What is it that you teach parents now? Uh, so, yeah, so this is awesome because you don't hear this. And we had excellent insurance. She went to 40 different treatment centers, 40 different entries into some form of treatment. And in all of those places- I just I want to get this correct. You said 40, 40, 40, yeah. And, um, and, you know, either some form of treatment, 40 different times and good treatment centers. So this is like the places everybody wanted to go, right? And and all of those places, this is like, if you had, we think my, my hard father had a very good job with very good insurance. So we could choose, places we uh, where to go we weren't like just left to whatever you whatever's out there that you can get into and um in all of those places i had three family meetings and they were all about discharge planning nobody reached out to me nobody tried to make me understand what was going on and how i could do a better job of of supporting her and how to what that would look like and how i should be taking care of myself and how the rest of the family should be involved Nobody, nobody did that. So, and that's a shame because when you can do your very best work with somebody for 30, 60, 90 days, and when they come back to the family, an uneducated, unsupported family that is still in PTSD mode, we can screw that up in about 90 seconds. And we don't want to, but we don't, we, we don't realize even what we're doing is wrong or is not helpful. What were some of the biggest mistakes that you made when your daughter would come home for treatment that like, like you, you talked about can, can screw up 90 days and 90 seconds. What do you, the thinking back, where did you blow it? I think that, you know, I, there was a lot of overhelping and overguiding and overdoing. And I tell families now, because I work as a family recovery coach. Now I work one-on-one -on -one with families and um, when I do that, I, I tell them, you are taking away from your child the ability to feel successful, to say, I did this. It was, it was my idea, or at least partially a good part of it was their idea to go forward. They, they found their, their, own, their own way through this, and they were able to feel like they did something that they could build upon. But when you arrange everything, when you spoon feed them everything, when you pay for everything, when you um, refuse to let them fall, and nobody, I don't believe in tough love. I don't believe in rock bottom. But I mean, I wouldn't, I didn't even let her trip. You know what I mean? I was there catching her all the time, driving her places, doing all those things. I wouldn't even let her use the bus for God's sakes. And I thought because, okay, we agreed she wasn't going to come home for six months until she was six months sober. And then we could talk about her coming home. I didn't give her cash. I didn't do some of the, I didn't realize the things that I was doing that was taking away her power and her ability to feel successful. And, and you can only continue to be successful if you've got that feeling that this was my success, not my mother's success.
Maureen, I want to, we're going to take a quick break and I want uh, to say thank you to some people who've helped C4. But when we come back, I want to talk to you about the process of re-earning trust. Yeah, uh, your daughter earning her trust back and you, you earning your trust back a daughter. That is the biggest question I have, not only with the parents of the kids in our facility, but the kids saying, mm-hmm how do I earn my parents' trust back and how come they don't care that I don't trust them? So I want to talk to you about that in a second, right when we come back. There has been such a huge change with, with COVID, with everybody. Maureen and I were just talking about it off the air, about how these plans we had, these speaking engagements we had, everything's gone wonky and you you everybody everybody's had to pivot that's the word of 2020 pivot whether it's 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 dodging what it is that is that is coming our way or whether it's just having this idea that you knew was going to be a success and now you've got to launch it on a completely different platform with that being said what c4 has done to bring the ccsad conference to a virtual realm so that therapists can still uh, uh these educated people can still continue to get their uh, ongoing credits these speakers can still share this new information this new advice these experts can talk about these books there are people who have helped c4 make CCSAD, this particular conference, uh, successful. And I want to say thank you to the bronze patrons today uh, for their time and their money and their effort to help CCSAD, the C4 events, keep going with this incredible work. We're talking about Aware Recovery Care, Brookdale, Discovery Behavioral Health, Eating Recovery Center, McLean, Newport Academy, Retreat Behavioral Health, Silver Hill Hospital, Spectrum Health Systems, and Vita Research Group. You guys, thank you. I, I'm I, A lot of you were there last year. Some of you, this is your first time sponsoring and supporting. Thank you for the sponsorship and support of C4 Events, the CCSAD 2020 Virtual Conference. All right, Maureen. So here we are. Uh, talking about trust. As I said, it's the kid's number one question about how can I get my parents to trust me and how come they don't care that I don't trust them. And it's the parents saying, how on earth am I ever going to trust this child again? So when you're saying that you're overhelping your daughter when she comes out of treatment, how do you trust she's not going to get on the bus and, and shoot up and not come home again? Well, she did those things even though I was doing all of what I was doing. So we think that this is like this false sense of control, that if we do all these things that they're not going to do that. And she did all those things anyhow, (laughs) you know? So I I think that, you know, really figuring out where I ended and she began and vice versa, you know, because she got used to me doing these things too. Right. Um, That was, that was a huge step. And, and, and I wish I had had guidance on that and, and support around that, but I didn't. And I think that's what we're failing to do with our families. How do you teach a parent to the idea that um, trust will come back? You will start to trust again. After, after five years of, of brutal suicidal ideation, heavy drug use, running away, how do you tell them it's okay to lend them the car keys? It takes time. I mean, it took time to get there. And it takes time to, to get to that. To the, to, and maybe you will never get that back. It all depends on how hard you both want it and work for it. And it takes two too. people have to 
you have to begin to trust that your children are going to make the right decisions and, and in order for them to make the right decisions. So we have to let go. We, we because it's a, an illusion. Anyhow, we don't really have any control. So you let go of that illusion that if you do one thing, they're going to do another thing. And then you just support and encourage and love. And um, no one ever was, ever was sorry that they gave support, encouragement, and love, right? That can, that can never be a bad thing. And I know that anything can happen because this is a potentially fatal disease and we're all faced with that all the time. And um, to, to say that something bad couldn't happen if you do these things is just not true and it's not fair. So when I work with parents, we, we have to acknowledge that, that, but it's, it was never in their control anyhow. My daughter is alive after three years of recovery, she overdosed 13 times that brought her to the um, hospital, probably another 20 that she was Narcaned by some somebody. The reason she's still alive is because she was lucky. And what a horrible thing to leave to luck. But that's the truth of the matter. I didn't, it wasn't because of anything I did. And it certainly was not because of any, anything she did. Because if that was, you know, if it was anything she did, she'd no longer be with us. So I think that everybody has to just, you just do the best you can. Unfortunately, I'm able to speak from a place of lived experience. So when I talk about my experiences and, the, and when people read this book, I mean, you cannot believe that this child is still alive. You just can't. And, um, and, and she is. And this happens more often than it doesn't. People do get well. And it's because it's so tragic when they don't that we tend to focus on that. But we have to stay hopeful and we have to stay loving and supportive because she tells me now that the thing that, um, that helped her the most is that she knew no matter what, not for a second was she not loved. And she also tells me that the thing that helped her most was I was so calm. Now I wasn't calm. <laughs> <laughs> I was calm 90% of the time in front of her, maybe a little bit more, but with some notable exceptions. But um, I mean, for the most part, I was not, the, I was the least calm I've ever been in my whole life. But I, 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 seemed to her like somebody that was in control of myself. And I think that that's important too. I find it funny uh, that, that she talks about your calmness because I remember your conversations about, you know, and, and again, for people who can't see you, you know, you're, you're, you're a, a wonderfully lovely woman and you are, you, 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 don't look like the type of person who's going to be shaking down a heroin dealer <laughs> somehow with a, with a baseball bat. And yet I know you as that person as well. So this, I'm a mother uh, you're, or anything. <laughs> that's it. Okay. So now we, you talked about earlier, you know, from, from this calmness to the accepting, to the understanding that you have no control to being out there with a baseball bat in front of a heroin dealer. Somewhere in the middle, your your concept of self-care change. You've mentioned this. What was it? What was the thing? What was the thing that you did 15% differently and it affected 85% of your day? You know, when it, when it came to Marine just focusing on her, on you. Well, I, I, I mean, unfortunately, it took a long time, but I realized that nothing I was doing was working. It wasn't helping. And if it was, I mean, if it had been helping, I always say to families, if somebody had said to me, Maureen, here's a butter knife and you got to cut your arm off. And if you cut your arm off, your daughter will be fine. 
I would have started sawing, you know, but um, it didn't work like that. What I was doing is I was ruining everything good in my life. And there was still good things in my life. My other, you know, my relationships with my other children, my personal relationships, I was destroying all of that. I was doing terrible damage to myself and my health and my business and everything else. And it wasn't helping her. So I had to stop. I had to stop. And when I stopped trying to fix her and save her and do things for her, instead of telling her, I love you, no matter what your what course your life takes. I mean, and sometimes, unfortunately, we have family members and loved ones that decide that the course in their life is they're going to use drugs and they're not going to stop. But that that does not keep me from loving you. It makes me sad and I don't want to lose you, but I, I still love you just as much. And when I started to take that attitude and I'm here when you're ready, then, then I, I was, it made room to take care of myself just a little and built and watched as she realized, you know what, maybe I need to follow suit. And she did. Talk about enabling codependency. These terms we've thrown around in the industry for ever as you're working with parents who are trying everything and anything do you do you use those words is there a different concept i i try not to use those words because i mean in in it all depends like we don't say if it worked and it was the thing that made the child go into treatment then we don't say that anymore right we just say that when we're mad at parents and when we're, <laughs> we're you know <laughs> otherwise it was like oh my god you're brilliant look at the, what you did that you was know? a great and idea then, i'm going to teach all the yeah. other parents to do what right. you did I mean, I, I think that it's it's really with connecting with other parents, which is one thing I really try to do and which I'm going to be trying to do more. And my fear is that we're going to be locked down even longer and harder than we were to begin with, with the whole COVID thing, and that there's going to be even more of a need for people to be able to connect virtually. So where um, Magnolia New Beginnings, which is the nonprofit that I founded in the middle of all of this, um, to, to connect other people and to offer them education and support, we are going to be having live um, meetings and um, and also launching a new website, which I've developed a curriculum called the Family Focused Addiction Support Training that I was going to be doing across the country, but COVID fixed that for me. And um, but it's it's for not only for parents and I want parents to take it too, but it's for uh, it's a NADAC approved course. So I can offer CEUs for it and it's all about working with families. So I, I that's going to be offered on the website and then there will be um, live meetings, hopefully several times a day for parents um, who are um, alone. I mean, and you're alone with this a lot of times to begin with. And in certain places in the country, there aren't accessible meetings. But even if you're in an area like I am, where you can find a, a family meeting, sometimes people don't want to walk into them and now they're all shut down. And while we, they got on board really quickly with AA and NA and the other meetings, I think that um, for people in recovery, which is thank God for that. But what we didn't do is do the same thing for parents. So I'm going to take, I'm going to, I, I'm in September going to be launching this new website and it's going to be part of Magnolia New Beginnings, part of the nonprofit, but we're going to be trying to address those things in a virtual way. And then hopefully this time next year, when this is all behind us, fingers crossed, and I'm speaking at the conference live, <laughs> 
we're going to be, um, then it'll, it'll, you know, be back to the regular trainings and then starting groups across the country because we need in our groups, it can't just be a matter of opinion. We've, the, you, you know, we've started to get this with as far as recovery, but we're not doing it with families. We're not teaching them. We're not having our meetings based on educating education and based on educating our family members on what they need to know. So they don't even know what they need to know and they're terrified and panicked. So you've got a few websites. You've got magnolianewbeginnings.org. You've got marinecavanaugh.net. And your new one in September is magnoliarecoveryresources.com. Right. I'm assuming you can get to them all from any one of those three. Sure. But it is the best place to start magnolianewbeginnings.org. Well, yeah, because we have the Facebook groups on there so they can join one of those groups and get information on everything else. But really, like you're saying, they're all... They're all connected. All the information is on, will be on all the other websites. So it's, and it's all free. So they'll, the CEUs, of course, you know, there'll be CEUs offered and those will be, uh, there'll be a fee associated with those so we can keep everything going. But we work on donations and it's all those, the family meetings, all the resources, all the, all the trainings for family members and for, um, and all, you know, everything we do is base is, is, is free and well, you have free a po- to parents free to parents <laughs> free. and you, <laughs> you have a podcast as well i do i do it's called collateral damage and i do that with uh, a, a local guy here in massachusetts we um kind of take both perspectives we have differing opinions on things so we um we i take it from the mom's perspective and he takes it from somebody who's in recovery nice so collateral damage or cd podcast dot com, dot com. yeah Awesome. Maureen, <clears throat> thank you so much. I, I love listening to your story. Uh, the book is very, very well written. Uh, and, and we'll be back. We'll be back at CCSAD live next year, I Absolutely. hope. So we can we can I'm high five, me. hug, and sit across for each other, breathe, cough all over each other, and we're all going to be safe. Cough from your mouth to God's ears. <laughs> Maureen Kavanaugh, thank you so much. Stay on while I, uh, while I take us out. Thank you. Get her book, parents. Get get If You Love Me, A Mother's Journey Through Her Daughter's Opioid Addiction and Recovery. The book was retitled last year. And that's, that's what a fantastic story. <clears throat> Not only just listening to what she went through, hearing, reading, experiencing what she went through, and truthfully, the idea that her daughter's been through 40 layers and levels of treatment as many ODs as her daughter has had, she's still there. This, these types of podcasts, these types of speakers, this is, this is the hope. This is the last door before the gates of hell. And that's why we keep bringing you this information. Maureen Cavanaugh, if you love me. I want to also thank Deepin Productions, not only for uh, uh, taking care of all my podcast needs, but writing this incredible music, which I just love this new song they did. Um, and parents understand that everything that I'm doing, these these experts I get are uh, these are all people brought to bring, brought to speak at these incredible conferences on addiction and recovery and mental health. Uh, the CCSAD, this is put on by C4 Events. And right now, I got my hands on all their top guests. So thank you to C4 Events and parents. Take care of yourselves first, your adult relationship second, and your children third, because in that way, you do your best work with your children. I'll see you next week.